Welcome to the Autism Empowerment Podcast, your source for acceptance, enrichment, inspiration, and empowerment in autistic and autism communities worldwide. Wherever you identify in your autism or autistic journey, Autism Empowerment is here to meet you along the way. We are an autistic-led podcast, 501c3 nonprofit charity, and publisher of Spectrum Life magazine. In today's episode, we're talking about educational support and recovery services in pandemic times and the age of COVID. Many parents and students involved in special education are concerned about regression and staying on track. Today, we're going to take a look at compensatory education, recovery services, and extended school year services, and how these services may help support students on the autism spectrum and with other learning disabilities. And we're back on the air and at the second half of Autism Acceptance Month. Hey there, Karen. How are you doing today? Pretty decent. I actually feel rested. It felt refreshing to wake up naturally and not see 4 a.m. on the clock. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, and I have some great news as well. What's that? All of the Spectrum Life magazines are now out and distributed throughout Southwest Washington and the Portland metro area. That's awesome. Hooray! Yay! Now people can start enjoying all of the greatness in the magazine. Yes. So you did a great job getting those magazines out so quickly. For our listeners who may be new to our podcast or who haven't seen a copy, Spectrum Life magazine is a publication of autism empowerment. We have print copies that go out in the Southwest Washington and Portland, Oregon metro area, as well as other parts of Washington and Oregon and mailed throughout the country. We also have an electronic version that is online to access for free, and you can see that at www.spectrumlife.org and go to the current issue page. We also include individual blog articles for each issue online. I want to give you a great shout out because you do a great job of getting all of that content posted to the website as well. Thank you. It's a labor of love. I love serving the community. So actually, in relation to the magazine, in our last episode, which was number 16, you and I, we went behind the scenes of all the interesting articles in our spring 2021 issue. And we shared quite a few fun facts that you would not have caught if you just read the magazine. So if you missed that episode, check it out after the show or anytime at www.autismempowermentpodcast.org. I really enjoyed that as well, and I look forward to doing future previews as well. Me too. I think it's great to be able to give our listeners behind-the-scenes looks at what goes on in the making of the magazine. So with that, I guess I should get going with this show. Hello, podcast friends. Thank you for joining us here today for the Autism Empowerment Podcast. My name is Karen Krejcia, and I'm the executive director and co-founder of Autism Empowerment and one of your regular hosts. I'm here with my husband, John Krejcia, who is our program's director and other co-founder. In most podcast episodes, such as this one, John is both our timekeeper and question-asking master. I'm going to turn this over to John to get the goodness going. I will be happy to get the goodness going. So the first question I usually like to ask, and I'm going to ask today, why are we doing this show today? So, John, we've been wanting to do this episode for a while. The podcast today is being recorded in April 2021. We live in Southwest Washington, and schools in our area reopened for hybrid learning less than two months ago, and it's been different in different areas of the country, but it has not been an easy time for kids or parents or educators. Just as kids are starting to adjust to the strangeness of getting back into the classroom, the school year is fast coming to an end. 
Quite frankly, a lot of parents are concerned about the education of their children. For myself, I'm the parent of two kids, and I'm a member of a lot of different parenting support groups for children on the spectrum and with other learning disabilities. What I've noticed in a lot of the different parenting groups is there is an overarching concern from parents whose children are on IEPs or 504 plans about how their kids are doing in school and whether they're catching up, they're falling behind, what is going to be happening to them as they go forward in the future. We wanted to help address some of the concerns of parents by sharing information about a couple different school services that may be available to their kids. We're going to talk about compensatory education, recovery services, and the end of school year services. Knowing your child's educational rights are very important. As we end this school year and look forward to the next school year, we'd like to get back to some sense of normalcy. So we want to help people get back on track. So I know there's a lot of information we want to go over today and a lot of important information. So let's go ahead and get started. A lot of the information we'll be talking about today comes from an article that was published in our Spectrum Life magazine winter 2021 issue. It was called Recovery Services in the Age of COVID. We'll be linking to that in our show notes. We're also going to incorporate some information that we learned from the Office of Special Education Programs as well as the State Education Agency for the State of Washington. I want to point out that this podcast and what we're sharing today, it's meant for general information and educational purposes, but it doesn't constitute professional or legal advice. Everyone's situation is going to be different, and if you need legal advice, please consult with a professional advisor or legal professional about your child or your family's unique situation. So this year, as well as last year, has been very challenging for students, for educators, for parents, for the whole educational system. Yes, and it's been so different for everybody in so many different ways. In our family, when school closures started happening in March of last year, of 2020, we had one student who was attending college in person and classes went virtual. We had another child who was in eighth grade and was doing really well, really thriving, getting ready to end middle school and transition into high school. For both of our kids, it was a very different experience and challenging in its own ways. We know that the families out there, the parents that are listening to this podcast, have their own unique situations with their kids. No matter what age your kids are, no matter what school system they were in, There had to be a lot of change in routine, a lot of fear, a lot of resilience building, but it's just been difficult for everyone. It's been very disrupting. Yes. And we transitioned into virtual learning back in March of 2020, different for different parts of the country. Parents had to suddenly take on a role of teacher, paraeducator, accommodation designer, and a lot more stepping in to make sure that their kids were able to access virtual learning, or in many cases for children who might have been too young to really get that whole computer learning, they've had to do a lot of stuff at home. Many students and parents had struggles with digital platforms, not just learning the different software, but accessing it. Most teachers and educators have done their best to try to serve students effectively, particularly those in special education, but many things have gotten in the way. The virus has been difficult on so many different levels. Family dynamics, jobs, internet connection, 
levels of economic stability. There have been so many stressors in this whole process. And I don't need to tell you something that you already know, but I pointed out because it hasn't been easy for any of us. It's been overwhelming. It's no secret that this school year simply isn't as effective for student learning and progress as it has been in the past. And many of our students, many of our kids will need additional help in order to thrive and to catch up. Before the COVID pandemic, if a school district failed to provide services for a student in that free and appropriate public education, those makeup services to help get them back up to speed were called compensatory education. In the age of COVID, there's a new term many of you may not be familiar with. It's called recovery services, and it's something you're going to want to take note of. Unfortunately, these terms are already being used interchangeably. Recovery services are still very new on the scene, but they're two distinctly different services. It's important to understand the differences as your child might be entitled to both. So there's a lot of information I know we want to cover and a lot of information that's super important and complex. So what I'd like to do is take this a little bit slowly and go over each individual term. I'd like to first start with compensatory education. Can we start with that? Sure. I'd love to make this as easy as possible for our listeners out there. We do have a transcript that we include with every show that is published a few days after each episode airs. On our autismempowermentpodcast.org website, we also include show notes. So if you don't have a pen and paper ready to take notes during this podcast, that's okay. We'll have this information for you. But I'm going to try to put it in parent-to-parent type of terms. As a mom of a student who's learning about this myself, I'm going to try to share it with you. So compensatory education, or comp ed, as it's commonly referred to, that's intended to help fix a school district mistake to make a student whole again. It compensates for something that they did not receive that they were supposed to. So compensatory education is discussed when part of a student's individualized education program, their IEP, has not been delivered. That might be something like specially designed instruction. You may see that on your IEP as SDI in a specific area. It could be related services such as speech or occupational or physical therapy. Compensatory education generally arises in two different ways. One is informal and the other more formal. If your child's IEP has specially designed instruction for reading and the school district failed to provide the reading SDI for a semester, that specially designed instruction can be made up by the school district staff outside of regular school hours. The amount of compensatory education that your child receives is usually determined by administrators, by parents, sometimes by attorneys and other advocates, and it's based on what can be agreed to by the district and the parents, and this is something that the school district pays for. The second way comp ed can arise is through a legal process. This is when there have been problems and a parent has escalated those problems to due process through a due process hearing or a state complaint, where a judge or a complaint investigator decides if a student needs compensatory education to make up for missed services 
that they were entitled to. For example, if the student didn't get their reading specially designed instruction, a judge or a complaint investigator could order that reading tutoring as compensatory education. In another example, if your child didn't get to spend time with their general education peers, a judge or complaint investigator might order compensatory education that includes social opportunities. Combat is not a formula and it's not an IEP team decision. Combat isn't even really discussed at IEP meetings, although the topic may come up if a parent brings it up and asks questions, but you're not generally going to see that there. Instead, compensatory education is determined outside of an IEP meeting, and it's generally by administrators and parents through discussions and consideration of your child's specific situation and their individual needs. Now, the other term that you talked about earlier was recovery services. So let's go over what recovery services are as well. Recovery services. This is that new term that I mentioned earlier. Recovery services are not compensatory education, and they're not to make up for something the district did not do or did wrong. Recovery services are an entirely new concept intended to help your child remain where they would have been if the pandemic school closure had not happened in the spring of 2020. Recovery services admit that a student is falling behind because of the pandemic, but that doesn't mean that the district has done something wrong. It's important for you to have that type of distinction because I think a lot of families are going to fall underneath this umbrella. I think it can be very confusing as well between which is which. Yes. Unlike compensatory education, recovery service amounts are to be decided by each student's IEP team. So this is where parents, students, teachers, case managers, they're all going to be coming together as the IEP team and considering different things to ascertain what kind of recovery services are necessary for each student. First, did your child regress on any of their IEP goals? As an example, if your child was previously able to read 80 out of 100 sight words, but they can now only read 40 out of 100, then that would show regression. You want to look at that. Second, has the student progressed on the IEP goals? Using that same reading goal example, assume that in March of 2020, your child could read 80 of 100 sight words, but by January of this year, January of 2021, your child was still only reading 80 sight words. It didn't show regression since no skill was lost, but it does prove that your child wasn't making meaningful progress on their goal. Finally, and this is one where a lot of parents are experiencing this with their children, if your child is not really, quote unquote, attending school virtually, Perhaps they turn the screen on, but they're not actively engaged or they get sensory dysregulated and overwhelmed. The IEP team should consider if additional supports are needed to re-engage the student in school. For example, if a student has become so dysregulated from being out of a physical school building that they cannot sit and work, then they may need additional help to start school again. I think the additional problem is that there's so many other distractions being at home. Schedules, there's video games, there's so many other 
things out there that are competing for the child's attention when they're actually physically at home and not physically in a, in a school. Oh, yes, I completely agree. A lot of people are home with their siblings of different ages. Some have babies, baby siblings at home, and some have dogs or cats or lots of competing noise, construction, gardeners outside, different things. There's just so many different factors that come into play that might affect someone's ability to attend consistently, even if they do have a good attention span. And then, for example, you have multiple kids also all trying to do school in, in multiple rooms. That's distracting in and of itself. Yeah. And quite frankly, we know that this has not been ideal for anybody. But parents who have multiple children, and especially ones that may be younger or have more severe support needs and need to have someone with them helping them while they're at the computer, it can be physically impossible at times because of the competing schedules and class times and those things. It's very common that students right now are needing to be able to have additional supports to be able to get them re-engaged. So what if a parent believes that their child is regressing or is not making the progress that they believe they should be making? That would indicate that recovery services should be considered. So will districts automatically review every student who's on an IEP to determine if recovery services are needed? That's a question that's beyond my scope of knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) The million-dollar question, right? Yeah. Ideally, yes. When that will take place and when that will happen, I'm not sure. There are so many things that are constantly changing and evolving. My best answer to parents out there who believe that their children could benefit from recovery services is to try to initiate the process yourself with your student's IEP team, with their main case manager or their teachers. When it comes time to look at recovery services, districts should look at each IEP, including whether or not your child has a behavior intervention plan, They should be assessing your child's progress on IEP goals, in addition to documentation which shows the degree to which your child participated in either remote, hybrid, or in-person learning opportunity. So assessing what happened in terms of their attendance and their participation in that period before the shutdown, and then taking a look at what happened during the pandemic to determine whether recovery services are needed in order to allow your child to continue to make progress that's appropriate in light of their own unique circumstances. I want to mention that there is no exception to the requirement for a school district to provide a free and appropriate public education to students with disabilities. Hey, that's FAPE. Hey, that's FAPE. (laughs) And as the district is providing general education services to students without disabilities, then it must also legally provide FAPE to students with disabilities. What is the timing for recovery services to start happening? It's really going to depend a lot from district to district, from school to school. As I mentioned before, this term is really new, and a lot of districts are trying to process what this is going to look like and how this is going to take place. Districts may provide recovery services now, They can do it through remote and hybrid learning models during the rest of this 2020-21 school year. 
In some places, they're doing this now to assist students in making progress towards their IEP goals and to help mitigate that educational impact, that loss that's been happening because of the pandemic. In some cases in our area, students may be brought in from remote learning to in-school learning for additional days. They may not be in the same type of classroom setup as their peers, but there may be tutoring setup. There may be different things available. Districts should also consider what recovery learning opportunities are being made available to all students because it's not just our kids that are on IEPs that are falling behind. Quite frankly, this pandemic has thrown a big wrench in the learning of lots of different people. As schools are looking at ways to support all students, they're coming up with some pretty innovative ways to try to help get kids extra tutoring and supports and accommodations. So any of those things that are available to students without disabilities should also be made to students with disabilities. That would also include any supports or accommodations that would be needed in order for the student to be able to participate in those opportunities. An example of that might be additional busing to and from the student's home in order for them to be able to participate in additional extended learning. Recovery services may also be provided through extended learning programs such as extended day or summer programs. So we're talking now about extended school year. We're also talking about recovery services. What are the differences between recovery services and an extended school year? That's a great question, John, and I recognize that I didn't really mention what extended school year was. You may see that on your child's IEP, E-S-Y, and what's the difference between that and what we're talking about with this new recovery services concept, because in theory, there will be potentially some overlap. So let me clarify. Recovery services, COVID. Recovery services, pandemic. Tie those things together. These are intended to help students make progress on their IEP goals, and they're to be used if students have not been provided or were unable to access their IEP services during COVID-19. Extended school year services, often known as ESY, those are intended to support students with maintaining skills during school breaks. So what this would look like is, say you have a child who has a propensity to regress during a summer break or even a winter break. This would be a time when services would be provided to make sure that they did not regress. ESY is required if the student needs it in order to maintain their IEP skills. That's typically determined based on documentation and data that shows regression or a lack of recoupment on the progress within a reasonable amount of time after a break from school. Now, this is something that would have been evaluated pre-pandemic. With the pandemic in play, there's a lot of difficulty in ascertaining documentation and data. However, the determination of the need for extended school year services could also be made on consideration of other factors. This would take a look at the nature and the severity of your child's disability, their rate of progress. It also takes a look at emerging skills with evidence to support the need. The need for extended school year services really needs to be examined on a case-by-case basis for each student. 
it's already required to be done annually as required by the IDEA. Extended school year services, they're not limited to just summer breaks. While that's generally the longest break from a normal school year, we're talking again, typical school year, extended school year services may be needed during shorter breaks of one or two weeks in length, such as a winter or a spring holiday break. Technically, extended school year services even can be an extension of a student's normal school day. Could be services that happened before or after. Just to clarify, the process, though, for determining need for extended school year services is a separate process and apart from any determination about recovery services, also including compensatory services that were initiated due to the pandemic. This is because the IEP team determinations regarding extended school year are perspective and the extended school year is not intended to make up for a past denial of FAPE. That's a lot to say there. That's a lot of meat there. That's something where you may need clarification. We'll provide you some links and resources where you can get some more information about those things. I was thinking that exact same thing. There was a lot in that last section. Thank you for that. How can parents request recovery services for their students due to COVID-19 when the school facility closed and a resulting decrease in IEP services happened? If you think that your child might benefit from recovery services, things to help your student catch up, the easiest way to do this is to call an IEP meeting. You do want to be prepared in advance with documentation, but requesting an IEP meeting to review where your child is at is going to be the best opportunity to get recovery services for your child, either at the time that they return to the brick and mortar school building or if they've already returned, then going forward through the end of this school year and into the next. Remember, you can call an IEP meeting at any time. The IEP team should consider whether your child's learning can be restored through a typical IEP process or whether other processes or services are necessary. For example, you may find that your child might need outside recovery services to be provided after school, during breaks, or on the weekends. These are all questions that you're going to have to think about very carefully before you go into that IEP meeting to figure out What do you think is going to be realistic and work best for you and your child? And then advocate for that within the meeting so that the team can discuss it and figure out what's the best option for your child. There's no formulas to follow to figure out recovery services as this is also new to everybody. We need to be flexible with what it is that we're asking. When I say being flexible with what you're asking, I'm not saying give in. What I'm saying is have grace. This is such a difficult time for everyone and we want more than anything for our children to thrive. We want to make sure that any recovery services that they're involved or engaged with does not cause them more stress than if they didn't have them or if they had perhaps a reduced version or less intense version of it. I hope that makes sense. Parental input is super important now more than ever because you have been at home with your child or presumably another caregiver in the house has been home with your child during this remote learning process. 
and you've been able to see things that the school is not going to be able to see. The parental input in these discussions is critical because you know your child intricately and you've been, in many cases, their primary educator for almost a year now. Parents who have concerns over the special education and related services provided to their child are encouraged to contact their IEP team or the district special education director for further discussion. If you're feeling any pushback and you have been positive and proactive in reaching out, remember that all dispute resolution options still remain available. That includes facilitation, mediation, state complaint, and due process. Now, ideally, you wouldn't have to go through these things, but if you need to, they are there for you in your advocacy for your child. Remember that your child with an IEP remains entitled to a free, appropriate public education. Specially designed instruction was expected to continue in some manner when the district was providing educational services to all students after the school shutdowns, when the pandemic started. In context to what we've been talking about, what should parents do to ensure their child's needs are being met? This is the time for you to document what you can. Document, document, document. And then after that? Document. As an autistic woman, I tend to be the kind of person who documents to the extreme. You'd be the queen documenter. I could do a documentary. However, this can be just a short log. It's something you can keep online. It's something you can keep in a notebook or a journal. I recommend that you have, if possible, each of your children keep a daily log as well, too. A couple sentences about what happened in each of their classes for that day. It can be short where you make a note of something that went well. If we're talking about recovery services and regression and those kinds of things, it's important to talk about where some of the problem areas might be. So as an example, if your child logged on to their general education science class, but only stayed five minutes before becoming dysregulated and exiting, write that down. If they were able to stay for 20 minutes, write that down. In our case, oftentimes at home, our child would be trying to learn and his teacher would have internet access problems or the teacher might not show up for a particular class, even if it was scheduled to be. Write that down. Write those things down. You think you'll remember them, but it's more important to have that on paper. This log is going to help you at a later date to determine consistency to determine if your child was actively engaged with the learning process. It's not something for you to be necessarily passing judgment on with your kid. We don't want people to feel bad, but we just want to be realistic and assess what it is that's happening. Including your child's feedback in your documentation to the extent that you can is going to be helpful when your child participates in that IEP meeting. Why was something difficult? Did they have a sensory overload? Or... Were they just distracted because there were too many noises around? Do they have any ideas on how things could have been made better? Sometimes it's just too overwhelming to look at 15 other students on a video screen. So a lot of kids turn their cameras off. But yet, when they do, it's much more difficult for them to engage. It's going to be different for each student, so write these things down. You might want to look at your child's academic performance, if they're completing their work, if they're doing it on time, those kinds of things. 
what we're looking at in this case is has the pandemic changed the way that they've been doing school, turning in their assignments, participating in class, and why things may have changed. If you do get IEP progress notes, they should tell you whether the school believes that your child has progressed, regressed, or stayed the same. That kind of information will also help your IEP team decide whether your child needs recovery services. But I think your own parental input about what you're seeing at home, as well as teacher's input regarding your child's participation in classes and schoolwork is going to be very helpful as well. If it turns out that the recovery services are going to be in the form of additional services and supports that are going to be provided during the school day, either during the school year or in the future, then it's important that those students' services get identified in the student's IEP including the frequency, the location, and duration of those services. So if you have not had an IEP meeting recently, or if you have and these types of topics have not been covered, it's time to get your documentation together and prepare to proactively and positively sit down with your team so that your child thrives. Finally, take careful note to assess the services that your child received or is receiving during the school closures because of the COVID pandemic. When I say assess, this is where the difference and distinction between compensatory education and recovery services matters. If your child was receiving all their IEP services and accommodations, but distance learning simply wasn't effective for them, then they may be entitled to recovery services. However, if your child simply wasn't receiving the services they're entitled to, then they may be eligible for compensatory education. And we talked about compensatory education at the very beginning. That's when a school district should have provided your child with something and they didn't. That would be falling under the compensatory education umbrella your child may be entitled to more than one service. Can you give an example of what that might look like? Yes. So, for example, imagine that your child was supposed to receive 60 minutes of speech-language therapy services per week. This was on their IEP. During distance learning, they didn't receive any speech services at all. That would be an example of an error or a mistake that's on the district's part. So that's an example where the student may be eligible for compensatory education. On the other hand, imagine that your child was receiving 60 minutes a week of speech-language therapy over video conference, but that model may not have been effective for the student. Maybe the student didn't make great progress, but because it was offered and provided, it wasn't technically an error or the district's fault. In this case, the student may be eligible for recovery services, but not compensatory education services. That is a really good example. Thank you so much for sharing that. So one of the other areas that came to mind, what about the students with disabilities who are graduating or are reaching the age of 21 in some type of transition program? That's a good question. So in this case, we're talking about students who are going into some sort of transition program after their 12th grade year. In this case, students may be participating in life skills types of classes, transition programs, job training sites, community activities. Those types of 
things may not be available due to safety concerns, or they may have changed because of physical distancing or health protocols to the point where a student doesn't really have the opportunity to develop the skills as originally intended by the IEP team for their transition. In this case, there are things that school districts can do to help support your student. Students and their families are encouraged to work with the districts to determine the need for recovery services on a case-by-case basis. There is some federal money that has been allocated to districts through a program called ESSER, and that can support the provision of recovery services after a student graduates or they reach the maximum age. So as your timekeeper, I have a couple more questions, and then it's time to wrap things up. My next question is, what are some of the other things that people should keep in mind? Thinking about things like recovery services, helping our children catch up in school, what services they may be entitled to, how do we help them thrive? These are really hard questions, and it has been such a hard past year for everybody. It's not for me to be able to tell you what services you should be fighting for, what do you want to undertake. As you transition into the next school year, really consider the mental health of your child. What are your priorities and values? We want our children to thrive. We want them to be caught up academically, but we want them to be healthy mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. We don't want to take on such a fight that it causes even more stress for our child who's already been through so much. So we need to take a look at what's important to each of us and how we can best support our children in thriving. Grace. I recommend that you give grace to yourself. Give grace to your child. Give grace to educators. Give forgiveness, even if that's a hard thing to do. This is just a difficult time for everyone. If we can approach the schools and our children's teachers from a place of positively partnering together to make sure that our child does the best that they possibly can and that they live their best life possible in each moment that they're engaged, we're doing a good thing. As you look through the different documentation that you keep, as you look through and assess whether your child's fallen behind, we want to make sure that their self-esteem doesn't fall behind. We want to be able to support them in the best way that we can. And sometimes that means we have to support ourselves because we're struggling to. So grace and forgiveness and having your child know that you're their ally, that you're their provider, that you care for them and you love them, that is going to help them so much more than any potential academic catch-up can do. And yes, that stuff is important. Yes, indeed, we want our children to be caught up. But in the big scope of things, we're all lifelong learners and The things that we're going to remember are the relationships and strengths that we've built with the ones that we love. So just keep those things in mind as well. That's fabulous. I love the idea of grace, grace for yourself and your child as well as your educators. That's a great message at any time. So one of the things I love about doing the podcast in combination with Spectrum Life magazine we can expand on what we produce in the magazine and provide additional resources for people out there. 
I think that's a wonderful service that we have to give back to our community. So Karen, beyond the article that was written in Spectrum Life magazine, what other resources are out there that people can access? So right after I give you that big heartfelt plea to give yourself grace and self-care, now we go back to, okay, how can I understand this and plug into the actual resources that were discussed? That is where we draw your attention to the autismempowermentpodcast.org website, where we're going to have a list of resources in the show notes for you to access. One of those will be the article that we discussed, which was provided by Diane Wiscarson and Taylor Vajda of Wiscarson Law. We will have a link to the Rights Law website at www.rightslaw.com. They are an excellent legal special education resource and can help you with IEPs and anything that you can think of in the special education field as it pertains to law. We're also going to provide you links to some government resources, the Office of Special Education and Rehabilitative Services, the Office of Special Education Programs, individual state departments of education, all of those types of resources that you can dive deep into. Recently, the Department of Education put out a COVID-19 handbook that was released in April 2021, which is a roadmap to reopening safely and meeting all students' needs. So there will be some guidance in there. You can see what they're recommending that schools do, and you can look at that from your parent perspective as well. Of course, we always recommend that you try to positively and proactively partner with your school. Finally, if it turns out that you need some advice from a special education lawyer, we can give you directions on how you might be able to find someone in your area as well. I want to thank you, Karen, for all of the information that you gave us today. There's a lot to go over. Before I turn this back over to you, I'd like to thank all of the people listening out there. Please subscribe and thank you for tuning in today. Karen, back to you. Thank you so much, John. This has been quite a discussion. The 2020-21 school year and the end of the 2019-20 school year have been a time in education like no other any of us have experienced in our lifetime. Situations continue to evolve, and just like our children are lifelong learners, we are as well. As we contemplate what's in the best interest of our children, we need to take their overall health into consideration, as well as our own personal and family priorities. At Autism Empowerment, we support autistic potential and human potential. We're excited to bring content like this to autism and autistic communities, but we can't do it without support of listeners like you. As we continue through Autism Acceptance Month, may we remember that every day can be a day to promote autism acceptance. Until autistics of all ages, abilities, and intersecting identities have the resources to be safe, healthy, enriched, and empowered to live their best lives possible, we need to continue advocating for positive change. Come join us as an Autism Empowerment Ambassador for Autism Acceptance. We appreciate you hanging out with us and thank you for your time. You've been listening to the Autism Empowerment Podcast. If you'd like to get connected with our community, as well as all the great support and content we have planned for the future, please hit the subscribe button and visit www.autismempowermentpodcast.org for show notes, transcripts, social media details, Spectrum Life Magazine, and more. As a 501c3 nonprofit charity, 
We rely upon support from listeners like you to produce our podcast and other programs. We appreciate you leaving a positive review, sharing us with your friends, and considering a tax-deductible donation today. Thank you again.